back in the studio again. <laughs> Here it is. Episode number three. We want to welcome you to Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, a systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. Across from me is my co-host. He's also bearded, TJ Darty, and uh, we're the Reformed Informants. Uh, we, we've got a pretty good episode lined up for us uh, today. Uh, I mean, we need to get right into this thing because it matters. That's right. Theology that, matters. Yeah, that's the, the the title for the episode is "Why Does Theology Matter?" And we really want to kind of pick each other's brains um, on drawing from text, looking at scripture to determine why theology actually matters. So we're not looking at necessarily philosophical reasons or things outside of scripture. We want to build from the text why theology matters and then look at practical application, you know, throughout the rest of the episode. Um, so just to kind of kickstart us here, um, why, why does theology matter? Yeah, why does theology why, matter? Why does it matter? Well, we've, we've talked before about why it's important to do theology and why, why theology is a, is a necessary practice and we're all theologians. But um, first and foremost, theology matters because what God says matters. Uh, and what I mean by that is you think about doing theology and you mentioned from the text of Scripture, um, God has spoken. And he has spoken in uh, a number of ways and related to a number of topics, a number of doctrines. And so we need to be aware of that, and we must pay attention to what God has said. Uh, To ignore theology is to ignore uh, what God has revealed in his word. So what God says matters. Yeah, absolutely. God God has only said so much in in his word. He's only revealed a certain amount in his word. So it absolutely matters if um, if God was continuing to add revelation to Scripture, which He is not. Right, that would matter as well. But with the limited amount of Scripture that we do have, and I don't want that to sound in a negative sense—a limited amount—but we do have those sixty-six books. God has revealed what He wants us to know, and. That matters to him exactly, and and we've said this before, right? That we can't pick and choose um, which text of scripture we deal with, or or we can't just deal with part of the Bible, the part that we like, and kind of uh, just chop it up, or, or you know anything like that. We have to deal with all of the text, and part of the reason why we have to do that is because everything in the text is from God Himself. All right? scripture, it's, it's all God, God breathed. breathed, right, right, every single jot and tittle right directly from god i think that's the importance too of not leaving anything out Mm -hmm. every aspect of theology matters it does and now we i would argue that perhaps certain um doctrines might be weighted as of more prominent importance you know we're going to talk about the gospel um there are certain um kind of tiers right where we can agree that these are the primary doctrines the most critical components of the Christian faith. Um, There are secondary and then tertiary, that kind of thing, um, so that I'm more concerned that you and I agree on who God is and the work of Christ on the cross, if we agree on those things, but we disagree maybe in the timing of the events of the eschaton and the end times, we are closer together than if we have our end times lined up perfectly, but 
our view of Christ is totally backwards. Right. Um, so so there, it's not to say that every single word of of the text. Uh, of scripture and all of theology is equal. I, I don't think that it's it's fair to say that. I think that certain uh, components need to be prioritized, but it does mean though that all of the text, all of theology, is important because it is part of what God has said. Right? Would you agree with that? No. Yeah, we talked about that last time when we used Christology or the person and work of mm-hmm. Christ as an example. That is primary, and that does take importance over the minute details in the book of Revelation in regards to the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments and those particular things, those are important. However, I, I don't think like you said like you said, that they're weighted right. the same. Right. Uh okay. Theology matters because what God says matters. What what else? I mean that's that's do we just end the discussion right there? Hey, what God says matters. Um, so we need to deal with it or are there other, why else might we say if we're trying to build a case for why theology is important, why theology actually does matter and not just matter, um, kind of in this ethereal sense, but in a a real applicable way, right? So why, why else would we say that theology matters? Theology matters because it is objective truth. Okay, uh, unpack that. Okay, it's objective Un- truth that. in regards to its unchanging truth. It's a standard. It's what God has revealed in comparison to subjective feelings okay. uh, that one might have, which I think is prevalent across uh, American Christianity, Gosh, and it's, re- it it's really spanning the globe where Christianity has gone from theological, Christianity has gone from objective truth to now subjective feelings, um, emotions, essentially a bypassing of the mind, um, and, and now relying on, does this feel good uh, okay, to well, me? Why? But why is that problematic? Like, if I'm obviously, we would agree that objective truth should prioritize, uh, should be of priority over subjective feelings and emotions and those kinds of things. But why? What is the danger in theological? Uh, your theological undergirding being subjective. Uh, how reliable are my feelings? Yeah, I don't 24/7. know. Twenty four seven. How how reliable are your feelings? Yeah, yeah. If my feelings are based on scripture first, if my feelings are based on theology first, that's a good start as mm-hmm. far as feelings and emotions are concerned. But once the feeling and the emotion overrides the objective standard of truth that we have. I think you run into some major, major problems, right. and it's a sl- it's a super slippery slope, right? Like as soon as you start to make a um, a convictional decision or build a theological conviction or doctrine with some feeling in there, as soon as that happens, as soon as you start to have some subjectivity, you have no you no longer have that objective truth. You no longer have that standard by which we can move forward if scripture because what has happened is scripture has been moved from its rightful place. Right? So we're we're now shifting the authority from scripture even if it's subtle. It's moving from scripture to us. So it it now goes from God's truth to man's truth. And that is an it's it's subtle a lot of I don't think so we're talking about this rampant, like, emotional just overflow that's happening right. in the church, right? <laughs> I don't think that there's a conscious decision in the church to say, we reject God and we put ourselves on the pedestal. Like, I don't think that that's a conscious thing that's going on, but that's what's happening. 
And, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the fruit of that coming out in the American church today um, that's dealing with this, I need to feel a certain way. I need to have a certain emotional response to this. Um, and it shows up in church services each and every Sunday. And it leaves us on this emotional roller coaster of faith as opposed to the standard of Christ uh, just being firm for us. Yeah, I would also, I mean, not only would I affirm everything that you just said, I would lump in experience also okay. overriding objective truth. What do you mean by that? I think I think you're right on, um, and and so, so unpack that some more. Yeah, well, I mean, just because I experience something, that means that it's true. In okay. other words, maybe a life experience that you've gone through, um, whether good or bad, but you're basing everything, as far as truth is concerned, on what you had just experienced, whether it was something that happened early that morning, mm-hmm. previous day, week, month, year, whatever, there, there's a danger in that. It's not saying that Christianity can't be experiential, because it is. It has to be, and to a certain degree. It's not saying that we can't look back on past events or experiences and learn from those things, but we can't subject ourselves to experience as our foundation for Christian living um, so would you say, and, and if you're thinking of something different, tell me, but I'm thinking, uh, as you say that, I, I'm thinking it would be like Paul saying the only way you can be saved is if you are stopped on a road, you are blinded, and and the Son of God makes a divine manifestation and appearance to you, right, in a supernatural way. Well, send me to Damascus. Right, so right, can exactly. Happen, I guess. That, would, that would be us basing our theological convictions, our doctrines, our building our theology around an experience, even though that experience is valid, it's true, um, but it's not objective, Right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, well, yeah, to bounce off that with Peter's experience at the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm -hmm. Second Peter chapter 1, he talks about being at that particular event, Matthew 17, and he he goes on to say, but we have the more sure prophetic word. We, We have the text of Scripture that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We have that. So even Peter, who was subjected to one of the greatest experiences that man has ever had. Right, where the where the deity of Christ is unveiled, right? The humanity is pulled back, and they get a glimpse of that. Still, still, he says we have the more sure word. The more sure word. He, yeah. he is relying on the old, just the Old Testament text at that mm-hmm. point. Um, so I think we, we learn from those guys. We learn from Paul on Damascus. He, he's... That wasn't the norm in the book of Acts for conversion. Um, And then even Peter's experience in relation to the word of God and sanctification, that experience wasn't the norm, but he didn't cling and hold to that. Right. um, As, you know, he pursued uh, the gospel and so on and so forth. Right. And I would would kind of, just to to make this more applicable and understand like I'm thinking in today's world we see this a ton and we'll have a separate uh, episode and discussion about spiritual gifts but you see this a lot with the the spiritual the sign gifts right like somebody says well I can look at the biblical text and see a case made for X Y and Z but my I saw it right like I saw I was I was out in uh, the jungle and I watch somebody do something. And so I know that's true. Right. And that's a, that's a scary thing. And it's hard for us. Like, 
Like I watch, if I watch or see something and I can't really explain it, like, okay, well that must've just been God. Um, and we'll, well, I mean, I don't want to rabbit trail down that road. We could, we can have a separate discussion there, but, but the reality a much needed is one, a much needed discussion. But the reality is, is that experience cannot drive objective truth um, because it is not objective itself. It, experience is subjective. And so our experience, our feelings, our emotions, they are truly unreliable in forming theology. And so theology has to be, uh, it, it's a necessary tool for us to keep us uh, from veering off the rails when those things occur. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay, so can experience, emotion, subjectivity, can that answer the question, how did we get here? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I It's certainly not going to do so adequately. Um, when I think about how did we get here, uh, this, this great question that everybody deals with in life, um, you might be exposed to some thoughts in a science class. Um, you might just kind of have some, um, some random, uh, just thinking in, in your mind, like how, how, as I'm trying to answer some of these life's great, some of life's greatest questions, how did this happen? But you're, you're not going to get the answers you seek unless you have a real theological foundation, which comes from the revealed word of God. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not going to be easy too, because holding to a six day literal creation at this point in our culture is basically mocked it is laughed at and and written off as basically a fairy tale yeah, <laughs> at, at this point yeah but as students of the word as believers of the lord jesus christ we can give people a sure answer on that Right. No, exactly. You're exactly right. And I think Wayne Grudem says that one of the roles and purposes of theology, of systematic, the of systematic theology, is to give answers to life's greatest questions. Yeah. So how did we get here? What happens when we die? Um, why is there evil in the world? These are questions that every culture, every uh, people group um, throughout every generation of history has had to answer. They, they certainly are asking the questions. They may not ask them in those forms. But every culture deals with this. How, what happens when we die? I mean, just pay attention to funerals. Like, like there is a cultural, uh, there's a human component to this that says death is not the end. And even if somebody thinks that it is, they had to answer the question, what happens when we die? Right. Right. So like theology gives us a way to answer these great questions that everybody has to deal with. And we want to do that from looking at the text of scripture. Now, <laughs> We have to thank God for that, too. He's revealed it. That's right. He, he has revealed what happens when we die. Like, th that is an assuring... Uh, I mean, that's an assuring doctrine. Uh, th th that's an assuring teaching from Scripture that you and I can talk about life after death, but uh, that can be used as an evangelistic tool when, when presenting the gospel. But yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, okay, wh what else? Um, why else would you say that theology matters? Um, and I'm thinking, if, as I'm trying to kind of guide the discussion here, why does theology matter on Sunday morning? You show up to church, you, you walk into, um, you and I aren't even at the same church, although we have been, um, but we, we have different Sunday morning experiences. Um, but wh how does theology affect the way we go about our Sunday morning process. Right. Well, 
are two things that I can immediately think of here. If we believe Christ to be the Lord of the church, then we need to do church like he has objectively laid it out. And then I would also throw in there, if we call Sunday the Lord's Day, are we conducting ourselves in a manner that is appropriate on the Lord's Day? And I, I, I think we find those texts in Scripture, um, and we, we could do essentially an order of service or what should be going on right. in a Sunday morning um, act of worship. But, yeah, absolutely, our, our, our view of God, our, our theology is shaped by what the scripture reveals to us and that plays itself out on Sunday mornings. Right. Why right. do we do this? Why do we do that? Why are we singing these songs? Why are we reading this text? Why are we praying? Mm-hmm. It, I mean it all stems and flows out of what our theology is. Again, bad theology, probably not God honoring right. worship on, on Sunday morning. I think David Platt has said said it multiple times that the greatest acts of idolatry tend to happen on Sunday mornings Gosh. because the gospel has been flip-flopped. It's a complete 180 where we're not actually worshiping God, we're, we're, we're worshiping self because we've mm. made music to what we like and what isn't honoring to God. And we've now taken our church services down to mm. the most minimum time that we can possibly spend, uh, you know, looking into the scripture I mean, again, uh, another episode of for course, another time but, here. But, but that is a sobering and humbling and scary thought to think that that's when it's an out it's an out in the open idolatry, even though, again, I would say that this, it's not intentional. I would say that most people are not saying, I reject the God of the Bible. I have read and studied and I reject that God and I'm going to create a God in my image. That I don't think that people are consciously doing this, but it's happening. And that's why we say uh, that our, our whole point in this is that theology matters because theology um, dictates the the God that you worship, right? right? Like like you you study the Word of God in order to learn who God is, so that you can worship that God, right? Um, so uh, part of episode one that we talked about, like theology is worship, and so to do theology is to worship who God is. Um, so our view of God is ultimately going to be shaped by our theology, our understanding of who He is. So worship Sunday morning corporately and even private worship as we. Uh, approach living throughout the day and we we are worshiping in prayer and and study and those things those are all uh, impacted by our theological convictions right and if you just take a cursory look through the twitter feed <sighs> on su- on saturday night wow. or a sunday morning one you never know what you're going to get but two you will see good solid faithful pastors begging and pleading for biblical God-honoring worship to take place on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, I mean, they're reaching out through social media trying you know, to catch the attention of maybe a pastor that isn't taking those things seriously yeah. on Sunday morning and encouraging them to be biblical mm-hmm. in what you're doing. Man, because, I mean, you brought it up because it does impact worship. It does, yeah. Theology certainly, certainly has uh, major ramifications for worship. Um, the other thing I would say... We think about all these different components and and things that are affected by our theology, but one of the things that we wanted to emphasize as we put this podcast together, again, not trying to 
um, not trying to push out any other resources or try to say that we have the latest and greatest. And but we wanted to do theology for the church, right? Like we're thinking for the lay person that's trying to wrestle through um, and trying to get through life. You know, I mean, we were talking about like managing job, work schedules, children, spinning all the plates. But why does theology matter for the church? Well, I would say the- theology has significant worldview implications. Could you? Tell me when I say worldview implications, what what comes to mind? Because the way that we do theology, um, our theological conviction, um, it's not done in the vacuum. Like we've said that before, that theology has a, a major impact on the way that we see the world and the way that we live. And so what what comes to mind whenever I say that? Yeah, well, we touched on at least the early portions of Genesis just earlier, mm-hmm. um, but when we're talking about a worldview, at least a biblical worldview, the Bible gives answers again on where we came from. The Bible gives answers about humanity. And if that is true, we've got God creating humanity, God creating humanity in his image. Uh, And that is absolutely foundational because once that is written off, then that leads us to where we're at in our culture. That's right. That there is no morality. Essentially, what you want to do is what you want to do. I, you know, am not any greater than the animal that I own, you know. No, you're you you are exactly right. That's that's the most. I think you could just camp out in Genesis one and two, and talk about the the most uh, significant worldview implications that come from those two chapters alone, and and see the way that worldview. Um, a, a biblical worldview is, is affected. Um, like you said, we live in a culture now that says, let's save the trees, let's save the animals and doll them up and let's kill the babies. Like that's the culture we live in. But theology says, as, as we as we look at um, the Bible, theology says, okay, what is a man and why does man matter? Well, the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. And so we don't get to... Um, place value on humanity in any kind of tier. So every human being that has ever been conceived is made by God in the image of God. And so there's a uh, implicit value of human life. There's uh, objective uh, worth for, for the human um, because that is the crown jewel of God's creation. We are, uh, as humanity, we are the only thing within creation that has been given that status as, as holding the image of God. And, and man was given the mandate of, of, of subduing the earth, right, and ruling, serving as vice regents over God's created world. And so all of that comes from just the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And this can be just developed and expounded just on end and end and end over and over and over again to see how these uh, theological um, doctrines and convictions, how they actually affect the way that we view the world. Yeah, John John MacArthur, Johnny Mac, J. Mac, he, and I can't remember where I heard him say this. It was a sermon many years ago, but he said, as soon as you open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you are immediately faced with a test. Do you believe this or do you not? If you don't start believing in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, then when do you start believing the Bible? Gosh. We've talked about origins in Genesis, you know, briefly, and how important are those chapters? Yeah. 
crazy. It's crazy. The 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 inter- whose world is this? Why right? does like, God give that first? Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that pay. I, I think that really speaks to the implications that that are played out and fleshed out in the way that we even approach society. Right, like like as we look at structure and order in our society, whose whose opinion matters? Like we open up your Twitter feed, pull up your Facebook, and you've got as many voices out there as there are humans on the planet. Everybody has something to say, but whose voice matters? Whose, whose world is it? And all of those things stem from our theological development. So um, theology Genesis matters. Genesis 2, marriage is instituted. Gosh. I mean, we could go on and on. You're exactly we, right. Yeah, we 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 Genesis could. is critical. That's right. We could do the same thing with the value of the family. Um, yeah, marriage. We, we could, and eventually we will um, open up these these different rabbit trails and spend individual episodes dealing with some of these things. But I think it's important for us to understand how um, theology affects just the way that we think and has a practical application into the way that we view the world and, and respond to various issues that are occurring in the world. Yeah, that's good. Um, to kind of shift directions from Genesis, because of course, I mean, yeah, we, we, we've been uh, there. We, for we, a while. we should have just titled the episode Genesis beginnings, origins, right? Uh, anyways, why does Genesis matter? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So when we're talking about theology and the importance of it and why it matters, the question, or at least the comment that I hear frequently, okay, well, if all of this doctrine and theology does actually matter, then how do we deal with, or why are there so many different denominations, and Mm. is theology divisive? Because it looks like it might be to some degree. Because we do have so many different denominations, and we have people who believe different things, and yeah. anyways, yeah. So, is theology divisive? Can we answer that? Well, or are we divisive? Yeah, yeah. To even, divided in our to even answer this question might be divisive, right? I, here's the thing: I I hear this a lot too. I know you mentioned it. Um, just being in the church. Uh, you, you hear this and you hear some people will say these words directly. Many people will say these words by the way that they approach uh, the text and study. Um, but they say doctrine divides, love unites, right? Like, let's just knock down the walls. Let's stop. Uh, let's stop arguing over these issues. And let's instead just all come together. Like there's this big ecumenical push to say all of us are, uh, you know, we're all part of God's family. Um, some people say God cares more about our deeds than our creeds, you know, like these, these ideas that, okay, just live a good life. Um, first of all, I would say, where do you draw that line? Because we've got a lot of other, uh, non-Christian religions that would want to emphasize moral living. So do we just knock down all of the walls and say, everybody goes to the, it's all one God. Like I would say, no, that's a very dangerous thing to do. So we, everybody has a divisive theology to a degree, even within Christianity though. I think, I think theology is necessarily divisive. Um, you see many instances in the New Testament where Paul is warning against false teachers. He he warns against them repeatedly. If you don't know about Paul or even uh, Jesus's warnings against false teachers, uh, Peter does the same. John does the same. If, if you haven't, if you're not aware of that, you haven't read the New Testament. Right. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention Peter's. Yes, I mean, I mean he says they are distorting the scriptures. That's they are right. Twisting. 
the scriptures. That's right. I mean, all of Second Peter is essentially about that. That and Jude deals with the same thing, right? Like we've got we've got all of these warnings in the New Testament that say, be aware and be careful of false teachers who come in and distort the truth, and they say what you want to hear. They they want to tickle your ears. So. Put your guard up. And what that means is, what they're essentially saying is, understand the truth. You have to know the truth. Now, I I don't want us to to divide over something nonsensical, but we do have to make a stand for objective truth. Right. Well, isn't one of the ministries or one of the aspects of the, the life of an elder is to be able to refute bad doctrine? That's right to be able to expose bad teaching. I mean, that's a qualification for someone that's supposed to be shepherding the flock, overseeing the local church, right? is to be able to recognize what isn't sound, be able to um, see what isn't biblical, and expose it. Right. And and so I'm thinking through, I I think through this, okay, because I've wrestled with this question a lot, because I have... And you and I have discussed this plenty. Um, I have strong convictions on what I believe on certain issues. You do. They, they, they it comes out. Um, I can't hide it. So, but why? Why do I want to put my stake in the ground and say this is a non-negotiable truth? Uh, because I believe it's God's revealed word, and I think it matters. And there are so many. We've said this before about. Uh, about systematic theology, right? Like there's a consistency in our theology. So if I start to bend or shift or twist in one theological area, um, I'm going to see that show up throughout my theology. Um, to give an example, if if you are, are dealing with two denominations or even within a denomination, you've got two sects or groups uh, within a denomination who take different stances on the inerrancy of the scriptures. You are... That's that's phase one. Come back a decade later and see how different those two groups are, right? Like the, the, the these theological things that come out of the errancy, the errancy debate, inerrancy debate, are wildly, uh, the, the, there's just so many that you take inerrancy away and just watch what happens to the rest of the theological convictions. They, they, they crumble. Well, Paul says it spreads like cancer. That's, their, their teaching spreads like cancer. That's what happens. And so you, you let, you, you, you compromise in one area, you let one false, uh, thought go in. You, you don't make a stand where you are convinced that this is what the Bible really says. Um, but I'm not going to make a fuss about that and just watch what happens when you compromise and you compromise and you compromise. Um, again, I want us to be clear. I'm not saying that it's important for us to divide over everything. I'm not saying that. I don't want division. Um, I'm just yeah, you'll saying. You'll be on an island by yourself th- th- if you're ex- it's 24-7. Exactly. Fighting for division. And if every single nuance of every single passage, has, there has to be agreement. That's not true. Like we, You and I, sitting across the table from one another, are in agreement on much more than we disagree on, but there are things we disagree on, and I don't even know what some of them are. They're right. just gonna, they would just come up, um, and that's okay. Healthy uh, conversation and, and iron sharpening iron and all these things happen when we discuss theology, and that's fine, but we can't compromise those core tenets of the faith. And, and then you have 
let me ask you this because I've kind of been talking for a while on this issue and I'm, I can feel my energy, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting amped up. I got to pass it. Yeah. I got to pass it over. over Yeah. Um, so talk to me if you don't mind about the issue of denominations and specifically how, how corporate worship and, and the gathering on Sunday morning is so impacted by that. So I'm thinking through, different views of baptism, different views of the Lord's Supper. Why are there why are those doctrines so divisive um amongst denominations? Right. Why why do you right. think that that is or or is that important to discuss? Well, yeah, of course we would admit that there are different denominations out there obviously, right? But we would all be united brothers and sisters in Christ if the core components of the gospel are professed and preached. Yes. Okay, so when we get to the issues of um, baptism and institution of the Lord's table, um, we do have disagreements um, amongst those two things, those two ordinances. I think we would agree that God, Christ, has given two ordinances to the church that need to be administered frequently in the church. Um, But I don't think that we would say that those are gospel deal breakers. In other words, whether you are baptizing infants or, and that needs to also be clarified because we're, we're not talking about baptizing infants for salvation. Right. Okay. Right. We would, we would reject that. That's right. We would reject that. Um, but we're talking about baptizing infants or believers baptism. Uh, there are different interpretations of the text on that, but those don't move you outside of Orthodox Christianity. That's right. Or what the church has essentially battled over those particular questions mm-hmm. and those particular ordinances uh, through, throughout the years. And you could say the same thing about the Lord's Supper. I mean, other than a distortion of the gospel itself and re-crucifying Christ and all the... Uh, we'll, we'll again have a separate episode dealing with the specifics of that, but... If we are to disagree over whether or not it should be wine or grape juice, that's that's okay. Right. Like that, I don't think that we have to have a church split or create a new denomination over these issues. Um, but the issues related to the centrality of the gospel, the issues related to the authority of the word, the issues related to the person and work of Christ, all of those things are they're just non-negotiable. I can't, can't compromise. compromise. You yeah. said it. You said it this episode. You yeah. cannot can't, can't compromise on those core truths at all. You can't. Right. And that's theology matters so much um, that I'm not willing to see what happens if I do because it has such uh, significant ramifications for us Absolutely. in so many other ways. Well, let's knock out uh, Let's like knock out the initiative here. Yeah. We're, we're running out of time. Um, T, you want to start us on this one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Big takeaway for me today, um, as I think through why does theology matter, um, I, I like to say this, that orthodoxy is the father of orthopraxy. Um, and what what that means is orthodoxy is uh, a big word that just means right belief. Uh, it means to understand and to believe rightly. Orthopraxy is to behave or practice rightly. And so basically what I would argue and what I think we need to understand is that sound doctrine helps us to live appropriately. 
So we have to have orthodoxy in place in order for orthopraxy to flow out of it. So theology matters because the way I live is determined by what I believe. And so I need to know what I believe in order to live appropriately and consistently with those beliefs. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I would I would add uh, add to that by saying that theology and doctrine and those things matter because it mattered to Christ. Mm. It mattered to Jesus. Everybody wants to talk about the Sermon on the Mount and bring up, well, is Jesus' most popular sermon, most well-known sermon, whatever, whatever. Okay, that's great. But what he's doing there is a masterpiece. He, he's basically he's correcting the overwhelming, really, interpretation of the text at that particular point. It was so skewed. Jesus would say things like, well, you have heard that it was said. I mean, he's talking to crowds. Mm-hmm. And, you and have, crowds who knew their scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have heard that it was said. And then a handful of times, he then says, but, but I say to you. So he was correcting bad teaching on marriage and divorce. He was correcting even abuses of scripture like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was expounding on anger, expounding on murder, um, adultery, sexual immorality, all of those things. And he he says, "Look, you have heard that it was said this particular way, but let me clear that up for you. Let me give you the interpretation of the text. Mm-hmm. Let me fix your theology." He did. Yeah, it, it mattered to Jesus. So if we are supposed to be Christ-like then it has to matter that's really good i like that i like that well hey let's sign off here if you're not doing so already make sure you're subscribing to our podcast on itunes and our youtube channel uh you can also be sure to like us on facebook at reformed informants and follow us on instagram and twitter Uh, and you can find us there at r underscore informants yeah if you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion feel free to email us at reformed informants at gmail.com 